0: New York Times in reporting a survey that was done by the Barna Group a few years ago noticed the diminishing belief in the devil among Americans. Two-thirds of Americans do not believe in the devil as a living entity. In fact, in a nationwide survey of over a thousand randomly selected people, pollsters asked whether they agreed that Satan is not a living being, but rather simply a symbol of evil. 62% of Americans agreed with that statement that the devil is not real, he's just a figment of our imagination representing evil. 30 of us disagreed with that because we know the devil's real. And then 8% had no opinion. I don't know what planet they've been living on, but anyway, they're, they're out there. The article said, if less than one in three Americans seems willing to give the devil his due, then this is a result of a fundamental long-term shift in our nation's religious culture. And I think it's a sad commentary on our day in America, but I do believe it is true. Here at Kavanaugh Church, we believe that the devil is real, that he was a created being made by God as an angel in the beginning of time. He was the most beautiful angel that God created. And I suppose because of his beauty, his splendor, and his power in heaven, his heart was filled with pride. People ask me, what was the first sin? Well, it was there in heaven at the beginning of time when pride filled the heart of the devil. And he desired a coup in heaven. He tried to take over the throne of God. Well, that didn't work, and so God kicked him out of heaven, and he took one-third of the demons or the angels in heaven who followed him, and now they are on planet earth. Church, our Bible affirms that the devil is real. And Paul spoke the truth when he said, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The devil is real. He is our arch enemy, and he is seeking to destroy your life. I had a friend call me this past week from out of state. He said, Will, how you doing? I said, I'm great. He said, how's Angie and the kids? I said, they're great. He said, how, how's Kavanaugh Church? I said, it's great. He said, well, then get ready. And without continuing the conversation, I knew exactly what he was talking about. Because the devil is not going to leave us great. He wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy your home. And he is seeking to destroy this church. He is after us. Therefore, we need to be aware of his tactics. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we are not ignorant of the devil's devices. In other words, the Bible gives us enough information to steer clear of his deception. We are in a series on... uh, we believe. I've been talking about the basic fundamentals of the faith. I've been preaching doctrine or theology, uh, reviewing what we believe, not only as a church and as believers, but, but what we believe in the historic Christian faith. It's important to know what you believe. Uh, your behavior is determined by what you believe. And so I'm telling you, doctrine matters. And we need to be reminded of what we believe and why we believe it. We've talked about what we believe concerning God's Word, that this is the inspired, inerrant Word of God. And when it speaks, it speaks for God from beginning to end. We talked about theism, what we believe about God. We talked about Jesus Christ, what we believe about God's only begotten Son. And last week, we talked about what theologically is termed, pneumonology. We talked about the Holy Spirit. And what we believe concerning the Holy Spirit. I had not planned on speaking about the devil and talking about what we believe about Satanology, about the devil and about demons. But because of some things that's been going on, not only in our world but in my own life, I deem it necessary that we discuss today what we believe about the devil. Our enemy, Lucifer, Satan. And it's interesting when you go back and study the scriptures, how the Bible relates the deeds and the works of Satan to us. He is described in numerous different ways, and in at least four ways, he is compared to an animal. Don't you find that intriguing? I certainly do. For example, the Bible tells us that the devil is a dragon trying to devour God's son. I want to throw a picture up on the screen, or in fact, Sherry's going to do it. Here's a picture of the nativity. I will be climbing up in the attic here in a few weeks, and I'll be dragging down numerous nativity scenes. My wife loves nativity scenes, and we'll have a house full of them. Uh, I've picked a picture out of a nativity scene that's pretty typical. We have the usual suspects up there. There's Joseph and Mary and, of course, the Christ child. We have angels above, and there's the star. We have shepherd and wise men assembled, and then there are all the animals, Uh, a plethora of animals in this nativity scene. I see a lot of sheep. There's a camel, a donkey. There's an oxen. Uh, There's another donkey back there, and back on the fence, I don't know if you can see it, there's a chicken. Jason, can you see the chicken up there? You like the chicken up there? Man, there, there's the chicken. All the farm animals. But you know what? I'm looking at that picture, and I don't see a dragon. I mean, I've seen thousands of pictures of nativity scenes. I've even seen living nativity scenes, but I've never seen a nativity scene that contains a dragon. Yet a dragon was there. You know that, don't you? In Bethlehem, that night when Jesus was born, there was a dragon, according to Revelation chapter 12. And in that passage, it speaks of a, of a woman who is pregnant and she is about to give birth to a child who will someday rule the nations with an iron scepter. In fact, a couple of years ago, I, I preached from this passage, Revelation 12, at Christmas time. I called it A Lady, a Baby, and a Mean Red Dragon. Y'all remember that? Okay, it was a good sermon. This is not that sermon, but I mean, it was a pretty good sermon. And we see that in Revelation 12, when Mary was about to give birth to a baby, that indeed a dragon was there, and he was standing, waiting, ready to devour the child she was going to have. You don't believe me? Let me read it to you from the Bible. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. And now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Now, this woman, the mother of the child who would one day rule the nations with an iron scepter, is not so much a picture of the Virgin Mary as she is a picture of the nation of Israel. In the Bible, the Bible describes the nation of Israel as the bride of Christ. And that she would give birth to the Messiah who would change the world. Who would bring salvation to mankind. And here in this passage, the nation of Israel, this lady is described in two different ways. She's clothed with the sun and the moon are under her feet. That implies the dignity and the glory in her position as God's chosen bride. And it also reflects the dignity and the glory of her bridegroom... Which is none other than the Lord of hosts. And it also describes this lady with having a, a crown on or, or a garland around her head with 12 stars in it. Those 12 stars represent, of course, the 12 tribes of Israel. But read on in verse 2. Then, being with child, she cried out in labor and pain to give birth. So the nation of Israel is about to give birth. To whom? The Messiah. The Old Testament had repeatedly predicted that a Messiah would come forth from Israel to bring salvation to the whole world. So this lady was not only very pregnant, she was at the very moment of her delivery. In other words, the nation of Israel as represented by the Virgin Mary was great with child. She was crying out in childbirth pain. Thank the good Lord I know nothing about that you ladies are tough I can tell you that she was crying out in these childbirth pains and the Messiah was about to be born that is a snapshot of the nativity this is the birth of Christ he is there in the stable surrounded by sheep and camels and donkeys but somebody else was there we read about him in verse number 3 Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth. Listen to this. To devour her child as soon as it was born. So the Bible is emphatic. Yes, indeed, the devil was there seeking to destroy God's son. He was there orchestrating all of these world events, moving King Herod to slaughter all the baby boys of Bethlehem in a desperate attempt to do away with God's son, with God's channel of redemption for the whole world. Verse 5. She gave birth to a male child who would rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was caught up to God and His throne. That last phrase, her child was caught up to God and His throne, is in reference to the ascension of Christ after His death, burial, and resurrection. Church, over and over again, the devil tried to defy and deny And destroy the Messiah. He tried to kill him as a baby in Bethlehem. He tried to tempt him as a young man in the wilderness. His demons sought to distract the Lord Jesus Christ at every turn. And in the end, Satan sifted the followers of Jesus Christ like wheat. And he took possession of one of their hearts, Judas Iscariot. He had the Son of God nailed to a cross... And even sealed in a tomb. And you think he's done. (laughs) But the good news is, three days later, Jesus Christ burst forth from that tomb. And then 40 days later, he was snatched up to God and to his throne at the ascension. He ascended to heaven in astounding beauty and absolute victory. Woo! Man! Awesome. Here's what I want you to get this morning, though. Here's what you need to hear and understand. This is fundamental in understanding the struggle that exists in our world today and the battle that's going on in your heart and in your soul. Ever since Lucifer led that revolt in heaven, he's been trying to defeat God. That was his purpose, to take over the throne of God. His attempt to take over God's throne failed. And he was kicked out of heaven. Then he tried to destroy Christ at his birth. That too failed. Then he attempted to to tempt Christ in the wilderness with the third temptation. Remember that one? He said, Jesus, just bow down and worship me. But that also failed. Then he tried to destroy Christ on the cross. Failure again. (laughs) He struck out numerous times. But he's not over. He has now turned His attention toward you. Listen to me. He's now turned His attention toward you. If He cannot destroy God nor God's Son, He is doing everything He can to destroy God's greatest creation, which is you. Dude, let me tell you. He's after you. He is an angry red dragon. And He will not stop. Until God makes him stop at the end of time. That means while you're still alive and breathing. He's after you. Oh he can't get me you think. Oh he's not going to touch me. Watch out when you say that. Pride goes before fall. Okay. He is an angry red dragon. And he's after you. Now I'd like to show you. Another face of Satan. We have it right here in this very chapter. He's not only a dragon trying to destroy God's son, he is a serpent trying to deceive God's people. In fact, in the remainder of this passage in Revelation 12, the writer accelerates or catapults to the end of history, to a time yet to come, the end days. And this is what he says in verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old. Called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Notice the name that is used there to describe the devil the old serpent. That harkens back to the very beginning of the Bible, to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. There, the devil appeared as a serpent to lead Eve astray. To deceive Eve. And now in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, the serpent is described as the evil one. A serpent who is leading the whole world astray. He started with the first woman. He's not going to be content until he has captured everyone in the earth. He's leading the whole world astray. He is the one Who deceives. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul was worrying out loud for the Corinthians. He was afraid they were getting in with the wrong crowd and somehow were being influenced by wrong leaders. And so this is what he said in verse 3. But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted. From the simplicity that is found in Christ. So he's out to deceive us with his craftiness. And you might wonder, well, how does the devil deceive us? How would the devil lead us astray today? Well, he's got the same plan. He just does it in different ways. And what I have taken note of is that part of his plan involves reversing our values and changing our morals. Now, I said this in the first service, and I'm going to say it to you guys. I'm going to sound old-fashioned and old fogy and I'm going to sound like an old fuddy dud, but that's okay, all right, because that's what I'm becoming. <laughs> I'm just becoming old. I, I understand that. I'm only 55 years old. <laughs> only, only. But my, oh, my, the change I've seen in our society and in our world and in America and in America culture and in our morality or lack of morality in my lifetime is absolutely amazing. It is unreal. I was born in 1961, August the 15th, and it, that was just the, the beginning of a cultural change in America. The 60s really uh, brought in the, the hippie revolution and, and free, free sex, free drugs, free thinking. It, it really changed everything in our world. But you know what, even when I was a kid, even when I was a teenager, America had morality at the core of our fabric. There were, there were just, it, we were a moral country, and there are some things that, that, that we just didn't put up with. We didn't allow. The, the programs that we see on TV today, they would not be allowed on TV back in, when I was a kid. We, just, we didn't have that trash on TV. Now granted, we only had three channels that we could get. But, I mean, we didn't have it. We didn't have it. When I was a little boy, and you're talking about somebody that was gay, I mean, you're talking about somebody that was happy. (laughs) They just had a a glad countenance on their face. I didn't even know what a homosexual was until I was way on up there and a a teenager. You know why? Because homosexuality was kept in the closet. And and our society would not allow that out in the forefront. It it was something that that was shunned. I didn't know what a transgender was <laughs> until I was an older teenager. We, we didn't talk about it. God forbid, we would never have allowed a man to go into a lady's bathroom. I mean, I mean, just it wasn't it wasn't accepted, it wasn't put up with. And if a man committed adultery against his wife and his family, that was looked down upon. It was shunned. My, how things have changed. And instead of protecting innocent people today, we are trying to protect those who are sinning against God. It's a reversal. It's a reversal of values. It's a reversal of of morality. How has it happened? (laughs) I can tell you how it's happened. The devil's been at work, man. Y'all know my middle daughter, Callie. She's uh, actually in Albania still, about to travel to the Philippines. Uh, Callie's a, man, she's just a smart kid. i am telling you. I can say that as a proud daddy, uh, knowing that she didn't get it from me. <laughs> uh, she got all the brains from her mama, that's for sure. But Callie's a deep thinker. She always has been. She's just, she's a deep, deep thinker. She's very concerned about her generation. I don't know if you read that last blog that she wrote on her. On her blog page, but it, it, it's a, kind of a call out to her generation. She's 19 years old and to, to the people that she's grown up with. And, and in deep conversations with Callie, he, he, here's, here's what my daughter believes, and I think she's hitting the nail on the head. She said, Dad, ever since I was a, a little bitty kid growing up, what my generation has been taught is tolerance. It's been cra- this is her words. Her words are, It has been crammed down our throat. That we be tolerant to everyone and to everything. And she said, while that is okay, it's only okay to a certain point. Because I can no longer stand up for what I believe in the word of God. I am now being shut down and rejected. And people who demand tolerance are being intolerant to me because I stand for what is true from the word of God. How has that happened in my lifetime? Well, it's happened through the craftiness of the evil one. He has a master plan, folks. He knows exactly what he's doing. And so he reverses values and he turns moral standards inside out. He also changes the price tag on things. Uh, We think, okay, what's that going to cost me? And he's whispering in our ear, oh, it's worth it. It's not going to cost you that much. Many of you right now are teetering on the, the, I hope not many of you, maybe one of you in here is teetering on the option of committing adultery, having an affair. Things have grown stale between you and your spouse. And the devil has brought someone else into the picture, someone who's caring, someone who's listening to you, someone who you believe is your true soulmate, and so he's telling you, it's okay. It's okay to do this because you feel it. You feel it. That, that person really does care for you and really does love you. It's not going to cost you that much in the long run. He's lying to you. It's going to cost you big time. It's going to cost you your, your spouse. It's going to cost you your family. It's going to cost you in your relationship to God. It's going to cost you a lot more than you're willing to pay. But he taints our minds. He changes our values. Church, make no mistake about it. The devil is a serpent. He is a master of deception. Since the Garden of Eve, he has had thousands of years to master his craft. And he will come to you to deceive you and to destroy you. And our only hope, our only hope is in the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son. Revelation 12, 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. Hebrews 2 says that by his death, he destroyed him who had the power of death, that is the devil. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Without the blood of Jesus Christ in your life, you are fair game. You are naked prey for the dragon, the old serpent. And our only place of safety is in Jesus Christ. Number three, the devil is portrayed as a bird trying to steal God's harvest. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells the story of this farmer who went out to broadcast seed, to sow seed. He had a little bag of seed around his waist and he was walking down his field. He was throwing the seed out and broadcasting it. And Jesus said as he flung the seed, it would land on or into four different types of soil or the ground. One type of soil that the seed was falling onto was the wayside soil or the pathway soil. It was the area around his field that was packed down hard. By the foot of men. And what would happen is when some of the seed would fall off on the wayside, it would just lie there dormant. It couldn't penetrate into the hard soil. And so a bird would fly by, see it, swoop down and snatch it up. Later on in the chapter, the disciples didn't understand Jesus' parable, so he explained it to them. He said, The seed is the word of God, it's the gospel. The farmer represents anyone who's broadcasting the seed. They're sharing the good news of the gospel. The four different soils are the conditions of the heart of men that the seed falls upon. And the wayside soil represents that human heart that is hard. It's hard. It's resistant to the gospel. And so when the gospel is shared with a hard human heart... That seed of the Word of God just lies there, dormant. It can't penetrate. It can't get down deep inside of you to change your life. And what happens is the devil swoops by, he sees the seed, and he snatches it up before it can take root in your heart. Tell the first service people, I see that the devil is that bird. He's an old crow. <laughs> And he's swooping down trying to snatch the seed. Church, you need to be aware that Satan will do anything to keep you from hearing and acting on the Word of God. Some of you are here this morning and I'm, I, I'm doing my best to, to preach and keep you attentive. But you know what? You're distracted today. And that seed is falling on a hard mind or a hard heart and the crow is snatching it up right now. How many times have have I seen a a young man or a young woman become interested in the things of God and, and they just get to start in church and then all of a sudden their schedule changes at work and they can't come on Sunday anymore. Or they get transferred to another city and they lose interest in the gospel. How many times have I prayed with someone at the altar and they've they've been repentant of their sins and they weep. But then when things get better in their life, they walk away from God and the church. Why? Because their hearts have become hard and the seed, the word of God, can't penetrate and make a difference. Who's stealing the seed? (laughs) Well, it's the devil. He does that even with believers. He's trying to snatch the seed from your heart and mind this morning. Then number four, and finally, the Bible tells us that the devil is a lion, and he's trying to devour God's children. You know 1 Peter 5, 8? It says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. How does the devil devour us? Well, how does a hungry lion devour its prey? It sinks its teeth into the prey. And that's what the devil does to us. The devil is always looking for a way to sink his teeth into God's children. He looks for soft spots in our lives. Areas of compromise or carelessness. The New Testament really is pretty specific about this. How the devil will sink his teeth into us. For example, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul is talking about forgiveness and that if you don't forgive other people, it's going to give the devil an opportunity to sink his teeth into you. And he's talking about this man who at one time was a part of the Corinthian church but had, had sinned and gotten away from the Lord and he became antagonistic toward the apostle Paul himself. But he humbled himself and he repented of his sin. And Paul is affirming in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 that he has forgiven this man and the rest of the people in the church need to forgive this man. He says this in verse 10. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us. For we are not unaware... Of his schemes. Church, listen to me. That's what he wants to do at Kavanaugh. He wants to come in here and just start a, a little riffle between you and, and somebody else. Maybe, 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 maybe it's something as, as simple as, well, that person didn't shake my hand this morning. Or the, they didn't say hi to me. Or I tell you what, that, that, that preacher, he just meddles, and he ought not be talking about me that way. <laughs> and we get angry, and, and there's bitterness, and we're not willing to forgive. It happens in families. If, if you allow that to happen in your life, whether it be to a, a work colleague or a family member or somebody in this church, you know what you're doing? You're allowing the devil to outwit you. Hmm? He also talks about the devil sinking his teeth into our hearts through discouragement. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, the apostle Paul is uh, is really concerned about the fledging church. He he had to leave before the church really got established and strong. and, And he was afraid they were becoming discouraged. And so he said in verses 1 through 5, We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you know very well. For this reason, when when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter, that is the devil, might have tempted you And our efforts might have been useless. Can I tell you, he's still using that same ploy today. No matter how good your life becomes, the devil can sink his teeth into you and bring discouragement into your life. I don't get that discouraged when things are going bad because I'm I tell you, I'm I'm gritting it out. I'm hunkered down. I'm towing the line when things are bad. I know what's going on. I get discouraged when things are going really good. I don't know if you're that way or not. It's the work of the devil. He is trying to discourage us to turn our hearts away from doing what is right. The Bible also goes on and tells us that we need to be careful in the church about men that we put in the role of leadership, especially the pastor. He says in 1 Timothy 3, 6 and 7, speaking of the man of God, he must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited. Talking about his ego. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. I know what I speak of because every single day I know the devil has set a trap out there for me. He's wanting to ensnare me. He's wanting to bring me down. So he sets traps specifically for Will Harmon. And one of the ways he is insured to snare me is when I get to thinking too good about myself and my ego gets too big. And I think the devil can't touch me. Look at all I'm doing for Jesus. Well, take heed when you feel like that. You're getting ready for a big fall. But you know what? That just doesn't apply to the preacher. It applies to all of us. The devil is setting snares and traps for you Daily. So please don't let your ego get in the way. Stay humble before the Lord. Another way the Bible says the devil will sink his teeth into you is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. He's talking to married people. And he's saying to a married couple, again, this is a husband and a wife. He's saying to them, don't let anything come between you and your spouse and specifically, I know all our kids are gone, your sex life. That's what he's talking about. He said the only way you are to dis, uh, abstain from it is for a concentrated time of prayer, and then you need to come back together. Let, let me read it to you. He says in 1 Corinthians 7:5, Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourself to prayer. Then, as a husband and wife, come back together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, that is a pretty form, firm warning, but it is the truth, church, and you need to hear the truth. Husbands and wives, y'all need to memorize that verse, all right? I better go on before I get myself in trouble right here. Number five, he says, the devil can sink his teeth into you when you become angry. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, he says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still Angry and do not give the devil a foothold. In other words, we give the devil a foothold, or to change the figure, we allow the devil to sink his teeth into us when we stay angry with somebody too long. Now, let's be honest, we all get angry, don't we? Some of you are angry right now, (laughs) it's written all over your face, man. And sometimes we get angry with the people that we love the most. But the Bible is telling us, hey, you need to shake that off. You need to resolve it quickly. If we allow that anger to linger in our hearts, it's going to cause bitterness. And it's going to give the devil a foothold into our whole life. Now, think about all the areas of your life that are referred to in these passages. The devil is not some impersonal force of evil the devil is real he he is a real person a fallen angel and he is probing for weak points in your marriage that is in your sex life in your attitudes about forgiveness in your angry spirit in your discouragement and even in your ego and when he sees those weak points he's going to seek his teeth into you because he's a lion and he's trying to destroy you. Church, listen to me. The devil is very real. The devil is very near. And the devil is very dangerous. He is the accuser of the brethren. He is our adversary. He is Beelzebub, the the prince and ruler of demons. He is the deceiver of the whole world. He is our enemy. He is the evil one. He is the God of this world. His name is Lucifer, the prince of the power of the air. He is the tempter. And today he's prowling around. He's like a dragon. Trying to destroy God's Son. He's like a serpent trying to deceive God's people. He's like a a bird trying to despoil God's harvest, and he's prowling around like a lion seeking someone to devour. But, church, he's also defeated. (laughs) See, he's defeated. He is our enemy, but he's already been defeated. He was conquered by Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary. He was routed at the empty tomb. And there at the cross, we find a place of safety where we can escape the wiles of the devil. I read about a husband and wife who were robbed of their valuables. The thief not only took a lot of their personal items, they stole a fortune in jewelry But of all the things that were taken in jewelry that the wife owned, she said the greatest loss was a diamond-studded cross that her husband gave her before they got married. And here's what she said. I just love that old cross. It means the world to me. Well, I'm not talking about a diamond-studded cross when I say to you, I just love that old cross. It means the world to me. Because that's just the way I feel about the cross of Jesus Christ. The symbol of death with which the Son of God destroyed death. Hebrews 2.14 says that by his death he destroyed him who held the power of death. That is the devil. Again, 1 John 3.8 says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Friend, listen to me, without the cross of Jesus Christ in your life, you are fair game. You are naked prey for the dragon, the serpent, the bird, the lion. and the only place of safety for you is in the blood of Jesus. I think I've, I know I've told you this story before, but let me tell it to you again from a little different perspective. Um, I spent seven years in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. And, uh, you know, I I, kind of joke about it sometimes, and I say that 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 was the most difficult time in my life in ministry, but I'm not joking. It really was. I faced more opposition from within and from without during those seven years than I've ever faced in my whole life. I can tell you this, uh, four years of Bible college and four years of seminary never prepared me for what I faced in Pine Bluff. It was like I was at the gates of hell for seven years. And the battle I did with the devil during that time was real. I can remember times uh, at 3010 Orange at our parsonage house where I'd go in the living room and at night when Angie and Whitney were asleep in their bed, I would go to the living room and I would bury my face between the cushions of the couch and I would cry out to God. I would say, Lord, you got to help me (laughs) because I can't keep doing this. It can't get any worse. (laughs) And the next day it would get worse. I had a few opportunities to leave. Other churches called. But God never released me. He wouldn't let me go because he was teaching me some stuff. I will never forget the night. It was on a Saturday night. I don't know, it was like 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, and and I was dead asleep, and I just woke straight up. Have you ever had that happen to you when you're just asleep, but then all of a sudden you are awake, (laughs) you know? And I sat up in bed, and I knew, I knew somebody was in our house. We lived in a parsonage. The church owned the entire block. The church was there, the parking lot, then our house, the parsonage. I I knew somebody had broken in, Tim. I knew they had. Now, back then, I didn't own a gun Now I own several guns. I didn't have a gun at my bedside, but if you break in my house at 905 Cary Lane, I guarantee you between my bed and the door, there are at least 10 guns. And if you break in to do harm to me and my family, I will shoot you and then ask questions and witness to you later, all right? I didn't have a gun at my nightstand, but I did have a pair of nunchucks under my bed. I, I had studied taekwondo when I was a young boy, and I had my nunchucks, and I, I did. I pulled them out, man. <laughs> <I> was, <laughs> Angie was asleep. I, I went right across the hall to Whitney's bedroom. Whitney was just a little girl. She was peacefully sleeping. Went down the hallway to the next room. Nobody was in there. Turned off to the bathroom. Nobody in the bathroom. Went to the living room. No one there. No one was in the kitchen. No one was in the laundry room. I double-checked the house because I knew somebody was. I could sense someone was in our house, but nobody was there. And Then I felt it. There was an evil presence in that house. There was a demonic spirit there. And I'm, I'm not saying this for the sensational. You know I'm not like that. This was real. I knew evil was in my house. And I'll be honest with you, church, it scared me. It scared me. The hair on my arms and legs were standing straight up. I had had goose pimples all over me. I was scared to death because I knew a demonic spirit was in my house. I did not hear an audible voice, but I knew in my spirit the reason the demonic spirit was there. It said this to me, I have come to destroy you your ministry, and your family. (laughs) It was real. I did the only thing I knew to do. I started crying out to Jesus. I was in the kitchen of our little parsonage. It was a kitchen kind of breakfast room, dining room, all combined. It was a pretty good-sized room, maybe part of this stage. It was that big. And for two hours... I did nothing but walk circles in that kitchen, quoting scripture, claiming the blood of Jesus, denouncing the devil, holding the hand of God, praying his protection over my life, my ministry, and my family. For two hours I duked it out with the devil. And finally that spirit left. Was gone. I can remember that like it was yesterday. And God, help me never forget that experience. Because the devil is just as real today. And just like he wanted to destroy me back then, he still wants to destroy me today. He wants to destroy my kids, my family. He wants to destroy this church. And he will... If we allow him to. So dear Jesus. Today we we claim the blood of Jesus. We ask for the protection of God. On our life and our families. In this church. And dear Jesus. If there is a single person in this room. Who has never accepted you. As their personal Savior and Lord. May they come today. And get under the blood of Jesus. And be forgiven of their sins. Lord I, I pray that we would sense the. The emergency state that we're in as a culture and as Americans. And how we need to pray for revival in our heart, our church, and in this world. And how as parents and grandparents, we need to come today and pray a hedge of protection around our kids and grandkids. So I pray that that would happen this morning, dear Lord, as we Open up our altars for a time of prayer. I pray that we would spontaneously respond to the spirit's call and that we would not give the devil victory or a foothold in this service today, but we would come and claim the blood of Jesus. Lord, do something amazing in this room and in our hearts. For we ask it in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with heads bowed and eyes